for now, turn, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in 12. It's actually a continuance of where I left off on Thursday. And that's really precisely it. I left off on Thursday because I spent a good chunk of time going through the previous teaching. I felt this was really on my heart to do and to satisfy. The um, title for those of you that didn't get it or for John who will post it is Going Against the Grain and Eating It Too. Going Against the Grain and Eating It Too. You'll see how it plays into that. In regard to something that the Apostle John penned, and by the way, he's the author of the book of Revelation that started our service off. He closes his gospel account with this, and it's important to see this. It's important to understand the impact that Jesus made right out of the gate, if you would, right on course to fulfilling his tenure as an itinerant rabbi, teacher, Actually, even greater than that, though in disguise to that point, our great high priest. And so John says this in the closing of his gospel account. This is the disciple, meaning him, who testifies of these things, everything that was written in his account, and wrote these things that we know that his testimony is true. That's how intimately he walked with the Lord to be able to say, by the way, this has been penned by me, that we might know this testimony about him is true. So he became obviously to the Lord very dear, an endearing disciple. Something about John, perhaps maybe in the way that he transitioned from being an angry man, which he was, a thunder brother. We're not sure which was the was the worst of them, but John probably had his temper tantrum moments in a time in which Jesus said, that's going to change. That's going to be different. And he became known as the apostle of love in verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Oh, and he concludes, amen. May it be so, so it is. So the reason I wanted to bring you to that point is because in his pilgrimage right now on earth, we see him in a very natural place. Nature actually was all of his. He created it with definition, and I might add high definition, unparalleled beauty for being in a temporal, if you would, state, which would be in as well a temporal time of condemnation, or if you would, corruption. Nothing stays indefinitely in its perfection on earth but God, who came to earth after designing it and coming to rescue man who spoiled the design of God in sin, is at work perfecting us. We don't get to see it. 
Rich still spills coffee on himself. He still drips burger juice on himself. He's a mess. On Thursday, he revealed that his pant jean was dirty, and we thought it was because of him praying, but it wasn't. He was groveling in the dirt, like all of us. So I explained how that happened in a crisis of plumbing. But where we're picking it up right now is that Jesus is with intention going against the grain of the institution of Judaism. And it makes people groan in those days. <laughs> Good sound effects. The Lord's just really awesome with his timing. Just groaning. And the Lord purposed to, if you would, have an in-your-face moment. As with his face, he is moving through this grain field, and he's doing so with great liberty. He's doing so with great license. Contrary to the laws that seemingly had been written against violating the Sabbath, Jesus presents himself as Lord of the Sabbath. That's the idea here. It's not the first time that on a Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath, the sixth, that the Lord had done something that was quite in the face of Judaism. And with reason. Judaism had failed, but the God of the Jews had not. In his visitation to earth, his directive was to gather from the house of Israel as many as would see and hear and respond. His mission hadn't changed, but what he would find himself doing is with great confidence and perfection moving against the system that had failed the people and ultimately had failed God's vision of proclaiming with precision and accuracy and great hope the plan of salvation to be redeemed from a world that had been both corrupted in nature and had been defiled by the nature of men in governance. Nature will be corrupted in time by insects, pestilence we call it, disease, by both drought and floods, it will be corrupted by man moving in the direction to plane it down and to build upon it. I find nothing wrong with that. God's given us great liberty to enjoy what we can do within nature. But there are things that we cannot do about the human nature that only God can do. And he doesn't simply renovate, which is impossible to stay on top of, he does something even better, regenerates, making from one thing to a complete other thing. With similitude, in other words, hmm, I know you. Yes, you do, but not the way that I was. You know me from remembrance of this, this face, but inside I'm a new creature, redesigned, repurposed. All of us are. When Jesus is moving at this time and with this functionality, he's confronting dysfunction. He loves those who are confronting him, but he does not love what they have allowed to take place in the house 
of his father, the house of prayer, the place in which everything that was on display was ultimately symbolic of the display of God through the Son upon the earth dwelling among men. So when the title suggests, hmm, was he like intentional? He was intentional. But sometimes there are things that we do that are intentional in terms of aggravating someone, and it's not necessarily for a divine outcome, is it? That's what our human nature tends to do. We can move at times with great coy, or if you would, blatant disregard to create ire or going against the grain of someone who has it coming. It's time. We all have that. We all have that tendency. The Lord gentles us out. That's why I love to see in the Gospel of John, the writer was not discounted. He was not dismissed for what he once was. He would have been a fist to cuff guys. He could have outworded you, cut you down to size, and it would appear in the scriptures that he also could have put a good facial reorientation of what your mom once recognized you to be. That actually probably is the description of both James and John, the Thunder Brothers. Jesus moves with complete authority and complete confidence to challenge the system that's actually following him. Everywhere he's going, the system is following him. Even as we have seen in our time and culture, there's something that's following me. I found this to be, for me, kind of a little laughter invoked in that last song. I'll see if I can find it, if I, if I can get my fingers nimble enough to do that. I mean, I may need a helper. Give me a second, I can do it. Here we go. Because your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. I wonder if sometimes we confuse what may be indeed an earthly fatigue with the fact that God is endeavoring to run us down with goodness and we're running from him. <laughs> well, I'm always tired because maybe you're running from God's goodness. And if we just stop for our water break, you know, sometimes you'll see me being given a bottle of water. I have men, my wife as well, friends that realize that sometimes in talking or singing, I get dried up. So the they hand me these bottles of liquid refreshment. I would that all of you could drink of it. But I know that the one thing that we do do and drink of as a family is the elements of communion. What's the tie that I'm making there? Is that his goodness is running after us. Jesus right now is demonstrating his goodness walking through a field that by those who are observing him and his disciples saying, they're defiling this day. Where God's goodness is running after us, 
the religious organization, or if you would, the institution of spiritual governance was running after him. And he said, that shall not be what I fear. I will not fear an institution that is to represent me. I will walk in confidence on the mission that my father has given to me and with those whom he has as well chosen for me. Hence, the importance of understanding in this field, which is ripe for the harvest, it's grain. That's the tie-in with the title. The title is Going Against the Grain and Eating It Too. He's provoking as being God the institution that should have represented God and should have known he was God. While at the same time, he is feeding with great delight his disciples. That was where we left off on Thursday. The feeding would be for you and I something that we might say not substantial enough because we're so used to stuffing our face with everything and up to capacity. So let me give you just an illustration before we jump into that. I love pistachios. I actually like them deshelled, although that's become controversy. Does deshelled mean they're shelled or they're in the shell? Because if you look at the Costco pistachios, the wonderful pistachios, we've had that as an argument. They, they say on the label shelled, shelled pistachios, which implies it's got a shell on it, but it doesn't. You can open the bag up and just grab a fistful and you just stuff them in your mouth. And to me, that's an extraordinary experience, which I tire of after the second fistful because they're rich. But then I face off with the challenge of the pistachio that is in its shell. And it's just got that sliver of a crack. You know, the one that says, who glued this thing? And you're working on it and you're going, okay, so what animals work really well with shells? Oh, I'll be a little otter. That's not working. What can get me into that fruit of that shell? And the idea here that I'm simply trying to give you is that I found actually in the challenge of getting to the fruit in that shell, actually more satisfying than shoveling a mouthful of it in my mouth. I can't fully understand the why, except that I think the Lord says there is reward in a work that is worthy. And there's a savoring that takes place that's different than simply the satiating of my tongue, my appetite. One pistachio at a time leads ultimately to a fistful, which I really never enjoyed. It's gone within seconds. Those little intricate nuts, the pistachio, I must say, savored, patiently worked on, set aside if I couldn't open it, but praying somehow it will be available with a tool much better. These guys, as it says in verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. There was on Thursday the suggestion that is it hunger that's driving them to do that? 
says they were hungry? Or is it God who's leading them by example to enjoy that? I think there are both component parts that interest me. For Jesus did lead by example. Not for me, guys, but you do it. I don't do those kind of things. I don't do things that are intentionally you know, going to rile up the government on me. I think that he was setting an example, saying, you're with me. You have liberty to enjoy that, which ultimately I have purposed for you on this day. Ooh, Lord, we know the law. Those guys are running after us. I think I saw the bushes kind of rattle over there. I think there's guys crawling actually in the wheat that we are passing up. I think they're circling around to intercept us, Lord. And while they are doing that, and I made mention of this as well on Thursday, they're having to work at it. It hasn't been winnowed yet. They're collecting as they can the grain off of the stalk. They're running their fingers through it. And as they do so, they snag the kernel. But the kernel is still yet surrounded by what we see as the outer chaff. That's wheat there. It's authentic, real wheat. If you got hungry and you asked for it now, I'd say, sure, great. Have fun. You're going to work at it. But that's authentic wheat. And so the winnowing hasn't yet taken place. As they grab it, it comes into their hands. And I gave a visual that what they're doing is they're rolling it in their hands. And if there's a light wind, then what they're rolling in their hands, the chaff is going to fall from their hands. They'll be left with the grain if they're careful. If there's no wind, the chaff is still being rolled off and they can do something like this. And it blows away. And then they're left with the kernels. And it probably is not a big batch of kernels. Probably singular seeds that to them actually and what I was using as the pistachio is savory. Their body is already responding to the fact that their need is being met grain by grain by grain by grain. The more grains that they collect and the more work that they apply to the chaff that still needs to be off of their next bite or two is again a work as they're walking with the Lord. And he's probably doing the very same thing. It's not like as God, he pulls a easier route for himself. How does he do that? I mean, he's eating those things like pistachios. He did the very same thing. He could have willed it, could have miraculously caused it to be of a different manner by which he ate it. He didn't. He was doing very likely the very same thing because he's teaching an example to them that as he is with them, he is God. And the institutions that had failed them, that regarded God as someone out of touch and at a distance from a personal connection, that's what he was going against the grain as he was eating grain and inviting them to enjoy grain. At times we say, even to this verse, Hey, what's your field? Well, my field is I'm a vocational teacher. Oh, that's cool. What's your field? Well, I'm a barista. Awesome. What is a barista? 
<laughs> well, it's an Italian word for a guy that is a purveyor of fine coffee. That's what I do. We have guys, gals here that are purveyors of fine coffee, baristas. They're very popular in what they serve. That's their field. We have farmers and we have educators. We have nurses and doctors. We have correction officers. We have millwrights. We have students. We have business owners. We've had police officers and we have firemen. We have M EMT. What are the guys called that EMTs? <laughs> we have EMTs. And we probably have some that are KFCs. Entirely different, although the KFC or may need an EMT if it's too much of that. What is your vocation that actually is your field? We have fishermen. Do you know we have extraordinary fishermen in the church? We have carpenters and electricians. We have actually collegiate educators. Many tiers up from where I was at. See, I was on the low totem. I was elementary, very small. But we actually have collegiate educators, professors. Those are fields of discipline. What's your field? What is the grain field that is indeed this time right now that is ripe for harvest? See, this tells us that this is the season that as the Lord is moving through his ministry, it's ripe. We'll have another occasion to see that when he will meet a woman who is precisely an illustration of what it's like that on a given day, in a moment of time, she will meet him and he will open her heart and change. Not because of condemnation, but because of truth. And so Jesus intentionally on this day, moving through a grain field and allowing his disciples to taste of the fruit of that harvest, I believe we as well could say, do you know that people are tasting on this day the fruit of a harvest that actually you're a part of in what it is you do, who it is you are, the things that you testify of him, even as John was able to say at the close of his gospel, these things I testify of. And if I were able to pen all of them, I suppose not even pages of books, the world itself could contain it. It's actually to give us all great hope. Oh, well, that's not my season. Yes, it is. When we talk of a field, which again is illustrative, you're in your field. It's ripe for the harvest. Who you are, what you do, how you manage your spiritual, in my opinion, endowment, which is a gift from God, is effectual to ultimately the individuals that later on will say, I was in Mexico with you 22 years ago when I was a 17-year-old. Rich, good to see you. You are, I'm Nick, you're Nick. I see that. Yes, I know that. Keep talking to me. Who were our friends? Awesome. 
the beach, La Bocana. You know, Christy and I discovered that beach. Keep talking. Yeah, Doug and Nicole. Yes, we are friends. Because things had changed us, but Jesus had changed us more. This changed, but Jesus, as we accounted for him, bearing testimony of the times we had together in that season. Awesome. Nick is a part of a field that I was in at that time that in as he compressed the years, saying the hardships of them and the lessons that he learned, the consequences that he suffered, he's not that same man. Right, Nick, so good to hear. Awesome. He's actually in the same office that I had as a manager of the Solid Rock Coffee House. That's actually his field now. He's kind of a techie. He sets up websites. He keeps things going at ACF. It's a new generation. I said, Nick, that was my office. I know. Does it look like my office? No. I don't even know what your office looked like. You weren't there when I came back. But we were able to laugh about the field that he's in, that at the same time, he is also a fruit of one day a picking that I did. You've been picked. Grain selected, savored by the Lord. I know it's verse 1, but the important part of this is to tell you that as the Lord has made you, and you may challenge the significance of where you are, where you are is in fact your field. And it's ripe for the harvest. I don't know how to plant. I don't know how to harvest. That's exactly the point. They followed the Lord. He set the example of what it is they did. Well, you said, though, that he's, he's moving against the grain. Yes, he's, he's challenging, if you would, the religious system. I'm not asking for you to challenge the church. There's no need for that. But there is, at times, the necessity of challenging a cultural system that has defied God and defiles the image and understanding of God. Today, my boys keep me really on top of the music scene, not the old music scene that you've heard me bring up from time to time, but the contemporary Christian music scene. And I debated on whether or not to share this or not. But I thought, you know what? Maybe it could be prudent right now. And so Everest and Zachary together, but Zachary dished out early, so we continued to discuss that a church renowned and a pastor, actually the son of a renowned pastor who also in his own right is renowned to the next younger generation, permitted his worship band to play. And I could not believe this because Everest asked, have you ever heard of this band? I said, yep. Have you ever heard of this song? Yep. Well, there's a pastor that said they'd opened up basically his worship service with their worship band and they were singing the song. I'm familiar with the band because I grew up in the 70s, obviously. And I never liked that transition to music. I was still hung up in the Beach Boys. So that tells you that I was never progressive. I was always regressive. And it killed me when the Beach Boys grew long hair and looked like other guys. I always wanted them to stay in the pinstripe shirt, 
goop back hair and keep playing those surf songs. But this group, worship band, opened up their worship service with Led Zeppelin. I said, okay, so let me, first of all, let's, let's examine this. Let's examine this. It could be that they were making a transition or lyrical change on Stairway to Heaven. I find it difficult to see how that's redemptive, but it could be because we had a guy named Jeff Nicholson who would redeem secular songs. You remember Jeff? He was brilliant, brilliant. And those songs were thoroughly redeemed. Brilliant guy. So I listened to it. I'm going, that doesn't sound like it was redeemed. It then morphed into another one of Led Zeppelin's songs. And I can't remember it. I can't remember. I remember the lyrics page playing it. And then whoever the lead singer was, which I can't remember, screaming it. This was a worship band. And at the close of the service, the pastor says, you know, I've really never allowed that to happen, but it just seemed like, well, whatever. And then he went into his teaching. And I'm still looking at the band. I mean, they were totally rockers. I do not doubt that they had giftings and talents, but I'm still to this day going, what field are you in? What field are you in? That's a secular field, and that's no harvest there. What are you teaching in the institution of truly Christian purity and a God that's worthy of having worship ascend, not secular decadence proclaimed? There's nothing redemptive, as far as I'm able to evaluate Led Zeppelin, that would have warranted permission for a worship band to have played it. So therefore, what am I saying? The field that you are in is highly persuasive to allow there not to be that kind of transgression. If you, in the field that you're at, ask, Lord, your spirit in me, your giftings distributed, how may I connect in a way that actually is authentic to what it is I do? And when you see it, you'll realize that those areas that are your field, that are the savor of grain, spiritual grain to people in their life, the reason that it's effective is because they will see an integrity in you that they cannot deny. They'll see a bravery in you that they want. We're in a season right now where fear has generated so much contrary to the exercise of faith that actually the Lord wants brave people, courageous people, faithful people because he is leading through a grain field and the field that you're in is where the grain is at. And others following your lead as you were following Jesus's lead allows them to know it's okay to collect and to separate that chaff and taste and see that the Lord is good. It's so much work. You know what? Life does have a work to it. But now I have to get up earlier because of that time zone thing. Give it to the Lord. He'll give you what it takes to get up, to get into the place that, guess what, was his specialty. You realize that even as he's doing this on his Sabbath, 
He will honor the Sabbath and where ultimately he will go. You realize, don't you, that he made frequent pilgrimages literally to Jerusalem from which he would enter and leave and both teach and show himself available. He was always in to the very work that seemingly from the religious institution was contrary to the purposes of worship. Your importance here is to take it out there in your field and to realize you're not doing anything different out there than actually what you're doing here. You're a connection. You're actually the granary. You're the one by whom others can savor the permissive will of God to taste and see that he is good. You're the one that is able to say, you seem tired. Are you running from God's goodness? Do you realize he's running after you? He's not judging you. That's been judged. You might be exhausted for actually not understanding that if you slow down, God's goodness is running after you and he's not trying to trip you. He's not trying to stomple you. He wants to purposefully bless you. And those are important things to be able to tell people. Going against the grain means interpretively for you and I that we will not settle on culture subordinating the supremacy of God in any facet of our belief and exercise of faith. That takes a stand. We did that for over two years. I have no apologies to render. People could come into this place with masks, hazmat suits. They could come in here with disinfectant spray and I probably would have let them shoot me. But the surface, which seems to have been so appropriate, really has been of grave consequence to the vitality of churches all across America and around the world. It was a great opportunity for Satan to take advantage of it. But the church will rise again. And those who have forgotten the importance of being a part of the body of Christ, and there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, it has been a world in upheaval. And then to now say, what's up next? Well, we have war that seemingly is up next. Why is it important to understand how God directs us literally in the field that we're at, in the time in which the harvest isn't just a seasonal one? Every day is a season for the harvest. And by praying in your situation over someone there that you are linked to, you're making a difference in ultimately how they see God differently than what they once did. That was the difference that was made in my life. People praying for me, over me, having confidence in me, even when I was not what you would call a real overt Christian. I believe I was saved, but I wasn't doing as well in my salvation as I could have done much earlier. Jesus going against the grain and allowing in the grace that he obviously ministered in to eat the fruit of it. We can go against culture. Sometimes people have a better look at this if they, in carpentry terms, know that the crosscut is as important as the long cut. 
The crosscut is what defines how much of that which I have is needed to build on that which I'm structuring this for. The crosscut is probably a more popular cut in carpentry, a more necessary cut than ultimately the long cut, which is tapering something to fit more perfectly on the narrow or width side of it. But that length is important for establishing how high something can go in the structures of two by fours. Crosscuts by far probably are more popularly used and essential. In essence, with regard to this, the crosscut as well is what we would call going against the grain. The way that the Lord says, I want it done this way to the precision that I am calculating for you is the crosscut in your life. And if you're off by a sixteenth, you can fudge it an eighth harder, a half inch. Really, it gets more difficult. But if the Lord is ultimately who, as he is, the carpenter, the shepherd of the soul, makes the crosscut as you, in your field, your harvest potential, allowing the Holy Spirit to put you where you are to be, to the person that will be highly influenced by you, you're able to apply in that illustration going against what perhaps they don't fully understand they are contrary in. We have a belief system right now that's being challenged in the era of moralities. Everest asked me another question. Do you believe that people can lose their salvation if, or are they not saved, if they behave in this way, if they do this. And I said, the Lord's made it really clear that there's a standard. And though forgiveness is obviously complete and grace is more than evident and mercy abounding, there's an accountability that believers have in how they live their life. And you cannot say, I am a believer but I justify the things that culture says we need to be more sensitive to. We cannot have the word of God and use in it a sticker that says coexist. We are sharing a place in time with many other faiths, but they are not the true faith. And the Lord requires there to be only one faith, one God, one spirit one template for understanding truth in doctrine. And it's not by an amalgam of other kinds of faiths or philosophies. We don't have to be ashamed of that. We have to be prudent and wise concerning it. We don't have to take a step back. We need to continue taking steps forward. Pastors, and in my opinion, err to that degree and cannot justify it. I was saying, is anybody applauding that? And never says, there's no way. And I actually was laughing at some of the responses because they were to the point correcting this pastor that actually should have never found himself in that position. He didn't have an answer. I personally believe that he just lost his edge, may lose his flock. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a super popular church because they allowed a little Led Zeppelin in which will allow a little something else in. Man, if Led Zeppelin did it, let's get some Jimi Hendrix songs going. 
I mean, he had some deep things to say. No, he didn't. He actually lived a shallow life, and he died early in life. The Rolling Stones have said nothing really eternal. They've celebrated the carnal. The only thing that could possibly be merited to them as a spiritual warning is, I ain't got no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. That's true. Solomon penned that in Ecclesiastes. Jesus moving through the grain fields, cutting against the grain to the religious system. Important to note. The Pharisees saw it, verse 2, and they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests, question mark. Have you not read? Do you not recall? The one who really akin to the greatest that Israel has ever raised up, aside from Moses and presently me who stands before you. Do you not see this? That is not the God who I am. And David understood the heart of God enough to say, in this moment, in this time, I can separate symbolism from the point of God meeting needs, essential needs being met, overriding spiritual symbolism, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Meaning that even those who at the highest pinnacle of spiritual, if you would, position, they fail. Mercy's being shown. Their acceptability is going to be accepted on the premise of God's grace and his mercy. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our Lord Paul would pen that. He said according to the law that he was practically perfect in every way. He was so good in his lawful understanding and actually the commissioning of looking as though he had it all together, that it would be an encounter in Acts chapter 9 in which the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he realized in that blinding moment in which he would be helpless, no longer strong, simply as one who could be a testifier of how great it was to perfect the walkings and the workings of the law, he came undone. And his whole life was then manifested as submitting to the Lord that he had been persecuting on lawful grounds the church that had defied the religious system that Jesus himself was defying in this outing. This was truly, I think, the field trip of all field trips. I used to take my kids to the Oregon Caves. This would have been the field trip that if I were given the opportunity to change Oregon Caves to this field that he's walking through and with him, I'd say, Lord, that's the one that I want. And then the Lord would say to me, glad you chose that. You've got it. Where, Lord, in the field that you're in? That's the trip. That's the trip. 
so good that you can see the other is interesting, has merit, but the field trip actually that now you're saying you want to be a part of is actually the one I've placed you in. One of our congregants was there in a time of our need with Zachary in the field that was ripe for harvest and prayed and prophesied over Zachary. That was that person's field in a time of great crises when there was a cross cut made in our life that was completely of God. What happened? Lots of things happened. Anything still happening? Absolutely. I leave things mysterious for the purpose of simply making a point that in your field, ripe for harvest, who's coming? Who has need? Where will you be? I believe there are people actually praying over cups of coffee that are being given to those that are buying them. I'm, I laugh all the time when I'm going, look at that. I mean, they need to have actually now like in and out burger cones so that they can reroute traffic. They need to have like guys out there with juggling and song and dance, but everybody's content to just wait in line. What's, what's going on there? And we've had many that are duchies, but actually they're better than that. They're disciples, capital D. So if you're a capital D and you're a duchy, you're in your field. And it may be for a season, but guess what that translates to? Something of even greater practicum later because you got it now. Jesus is confident in what he's doing. He's standing up to an institution that's failed in what's they, what they ought to have done. And now he's going face to face with them in their charge. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You guys are condemners of the guiltless because you've never understood me as one who desires mercy. And you don't understand me because you haven't recognized that I am God of the Father as the Son sent precisely to encounter you in this moment in which all you can think about are the violations of your laws and ordinances, not God's. He kept it actually simple. He never imposed or intended to impose burdens that could not be met by the priesthood. They did. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That was his lesson. The Son of Man, me, God, Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, who comes from that place? The babe from Bethlehem? That's me. The star shone down upon that city, upon that night. You remember the stories. That's me. You've been following me, but not to follow me. You're actually running after me when I have been running after you. What do you want to do, guys? Essentially, it would challenge their theology, which should have been about him. 
And so I really do appreciate, you know, just even in this and what has been the emphasis is that you've got a field. Thank you for praying in your harvest field. Some of you will do it quietly and confidently and powerfully. Great. I know that you're doing it. And the things that you do. I've seen that. I, I know the evidence of it is true. Some of you literally touch bodies daily and you're healers in your field by what God has allowed in your hands and in your mind. You're skilled in areas. I get tired with just one little foot massage, meaning I just don't have the muscles for it. I would not be a good foot massager, masseuser. I can with Zachary's special gear. He's got some real gear to help pound his feet. But they're actually professionals that touch the body, touch the soul, touch the spirit. In your field, grain awaits you, savory, essential. And your reputation actually will precede you in what will be remembered about you as you exercise your faith. It really will be. Two years, five years, 10, 20, you'll see it come before you. And it's a marvelous thing and it's a humbling thing to see. So may there be just even in this closing where you're confident that you can go against the grain of culture you can deliver a crosscut that makes the length of their argument precise to dealing with Jesus and what he has pronounced. You never have to be ashamed of what Jesus has said. And you never have to be worried about what is thought of you because you will be thought no less than what Jesus was. But at the same time, Jesus has left you with an opportunity to do even greater things, he says, than he himself did. That is amazing. That is amazing. And you get to be able to be entreated to truly spiritual food that will do in you what no hamburger, no cup of coffee, no awesome, nice ball of chocolate chip ice cream could ever do. That's what the reward is. And so may you be those who today say, Lord, thank you for the field that you've put me in. Thank you for the opportunity I have. Liberty in retirement or to the plow that right now I am behind. Thank you. I will continue to pray. I'll use my hands, my intellect, my heart. I will trust in you. I will pray for the work that you want to do in the church. We need to be praying that the church actually begins to say time to rise up, not rise against you rise up. The Lord is substantially able to take care of foes and adversaries. What the church needs to do is to come together once again as a family and exercise as a family gifted 